0: everyone, welcome back to Refugees On Air, this is your host Sarah and Maya and today we are here with Mark, um, one of our amazing guests, we've actually interviewed him once before but our interview was completely distorted so we're back here again. Yeah. So Mark, how mm-hmm. are you? We're so happy to have you back.
1: I'm, I'm great, yeah, it's good to see you again, like this is, this is another opportunity for like to talk to you guys yeah. again and see what's up with you. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's good.
0: It's been a bit of a hectic break that we've had but mm-hmm. um... We're back, and we're very excited to talk to you about all um, that's changed within the past six months. And yeah, so I think we'll get right into it. So how was your life back in Aleppo, you know, before the war had erupted?
1: I just remember it being... I was a kid. I was still a kid because, like, the war started when I was, like, 14. You know, my life was a life of a kid, you know. It was simple. Like, it was safe. Like, it was extremely safe in Syria. You guys know our crime rate was very low. Like, we Mm -hmm. didn't have any violence in the country. We didn't have any, like, terrorist attacks going on. Mm -hmm. Like, we were living a peaceful life for the, like, for the last 20 years. And, yeah, it was safe. We we had our houses. And everything was going okay. And, you know, I was still 13 so I was not like fully aware of yeah. the situation I was yeah. not appreciative of the safety we had or mm-hmm. the the bless we had so yeah and then like the war erupted and it was it was a bit sudden like for me it was a bit sudden but it was like going on in the other cities of Syria for like the last year but for me like Aleppo like the war erupted there very suddenly yeah for me as a kid and like everything has changed like we lost our house and that we had to move and like everything just changed like with a snap.
0: yeah, and I um, I actually recall one of my memories when I was still in Syria I was just when I was like 10 years old, I had a big uh, group of family friends, and we would always go out and uh, one time all of my friends and I were like in the playground and one of the guys whose name is actually Mark as well, <laughs> um, he overheard one of his parents saying that um, Aleppo was gonna be as bad as humps. Or yeah, another yeah, city like yeah, that. Yeah, I remember
1: hearing that as well. Yeah, but and like um, as a kid, like I was 13, 14, yeah. I didn't think much of it. I was like, Yeah, yeah. I can. As I going actually. to, talk to me was like,
0: Yeah, I I got really defensive, and I just felt like a, a sinking feeling in my stomach. I've never felt that much fear before in my life. Um, I've never felt that feeling ever again. <laughs> you know, it's just still like it stuck with me. You know that that, that moment fear, yeah, just yeah. Like knowing that things are never going to be the same again, and your life is you know, basically changed forever. Yeah, changed
1: yeah. forever, for better or worse.
0: So you also mentioned that you moved to Damascus when the war edged into Aleppo. So mm-hmm. how was that for you?
1: Well, we moved after uh, three, four years, when I was 18. So we w- the war started when I was 13, 14 in Aleppo, mm-hmm. and we moved to Damascus when I was 18. So we lived back through four years Damascus in Aleppo. And when we moved to Damascus, it was... Like a lot safer than Aleppo, because mm. the situation was in Aleppo like very, very intense, difficult yeah. and Intense and like you hear gunshots all day long for the whole like four years. Gunshots, bombing, explosions, just just like every every single day. I don't remember a day it was quiet, and there was like a couple of days it was quiet, and we felt unsafe when it was quiet. You know, they say like this, the, like the the quietness before the storm, like. Mm. Like, yeah, we felt unsafe because it's so quiet. Like, we felt there's something bigger is going to happen because it's so quiet. But then we moved to Damascus, and it was quiet all the time, and we felt very unusual because it was quiet. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine feeling unusual because it's quiet and there is no gunshots. We felt like it's very quiet. There is no gunshots. There is no explosions. So we felt a bit unusual, like, for the first couple of weeks Mm. before we got used to quietness again. You know, just hearing cars, so that was a bit of like a very hard transition. But it was much safer. And by that time, my father was, uh, uh, like, under threat of being recruited into the army because he was still in the age of recruitment. Yeah, yeah, recruitment. Yeah, it was like it was like for forty, forty something, forty one. For yeah, and he was still like in the age limit of like being recruited into the army and he didn't want to fight for Mm -hmm. any side and he didn't want to do that Mm -hmm. because he just didn't want to go into the army that's fair enough it's fair enough he just didn't want to risk your life his life
0: yeah he wanted to provide for the family yeah yeah, he wanted
1: to do that but he couldn't do that anymore and he was locked in the house me and my sister were like the only people able to you know provide for the family because my mom was, was not able to work then because she had, like, a health uh, issue as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And were you able to attend school that during no, that no time? No, no school.
1: No school all the time. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Like, we attended school in Aleppo, but, like, for just days and some days not. Like, lots of days not. Mm-hmm. We just went when it was, like, we felt it safe. Mm-hmm. And same in Damascus. We just couldn't go to school anymore. We just, you know, stayed home and worked, So And I found a job before my sister did. And it was quite hard for her to find a job because she didn't have any qualifications yet, because she was still young. So I found a job as a waiter before she did, and for like six, seven months, I was the only provider for the family, and that was very intense to At a very young to be. Age. Yeah, yeah, I was like still 17, 18. You should work at that age, you know, just like work to provide your own allowance and do your own things, mm-hmm. but not work to provide for five people. Yeah, so you were and like. For a whole family, and I was yeah. I was like.
0: You were burning. You know, that. being into
1: grown up is uh, is gradual, you know? Yep. Like becoming grown up is, is gradual, growing up. But I, I didn't have that graduality. I just, there was like a switch. I had to like. Snap from childhood, teenage years to being a grown-up and provide for the family, and that was a bit uh, that was a bit hard. But Mm -hmm. I got used to it because, like, by that time, if you live through a war, like through your childhood and teenage years, you get very adaptive, Mm -hmm. get very adaptive to things and situations snapping and changing very quickly. So it does not matter anymore. You you get used to changes don't quick and sudden changes. And I think I still have that ability because of the world. It's not it's not it's not it's not a good thing, but I'm more adaptive now to sudden changes and unexpected things. I, I can I can work with that in a very good way.
0: To you, what was the most important lesson That you um, had learned when you were the uh, provider for your family during that time in Damascus.
1: It's hard being a grown up. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that. I was like, (laughs) this is hard being a grown up and providing for people. Like, I was more appreciative for my what my like my parents did for like when I was younger, of them like being the provider. I was like, this is hard. Like my parents were doing this for the last twenty years. And I was really appreciative of their you know, effort doing that all day provide for us, even though I just did it for six months. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's nothing compared to what they did for us, so I was more appreciative of what, what they did.
0: How was your life like in Iraq, and what did you spend your time doing there?
1: Same as I did in Syria, in Damascus. Yeah. So we moved to Iraq when I was 18, 19, and there was nothing else to do there except work, because I couldn't study there. I thought about studying and, like, it was safer and, like, we were more comfortable financially because my dad and mom were working in Iraq. But uh, I just couldn't do it because there I was an illegal immigrant. Yeah. Like, I just, I just didn't have, uh, like... Uh, a work permit. I didn't have a yeah. work permit. I didn't have permit. I was just there on a UN refugee paper. And all I could do there is work, even though like we didn't have a work permit. But like you, you had to work to live, because like there was no support at all from anyone. So like there was like absolutely no support. So you had to work to live, even though like it were illegal for us to work. But like we had to do it. Like yeah. you,
0: you just can't. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. we get it. And you must have been feeling really low and afraid of what your future holds, but. At that point in time, but how did you feel when when your visa got accepted and you realized uh, that you you're on your way to a new day country? Ever. Really,
1: because <laughs> in Iraq, like you are working, you are you, like it was it was safe and we had like we had we were our financial situation was also good, mm. but the future was unknown. You know, like what's gonna happen? Like we didn't know if, where are we going to now? Are we going back to Syria? But no, but that's unsafe. Are we, like, for my father, it was unsafe. Like, in the it was fairly safe, but for my father, it was unsafe. And for me, it was uh, unsafe as well, because I was, I was already 18, and by that age, they start recruiting for the army as well. So I couldn't go back. Mm-hmm. And in Iraq, it's very, like, the future is very... Uncertain. Uncertain. And the uncertainty really kills you. Like, it was... Really hard on us emotionally and mentally because it's very the uncertainty is, is very it's it's not, it's not it's not a good thing to live in yeah, uncertainty. Yeah, I you cannot understand. imagine what the refugees and the camps yeah. are living right now. The uncertainty of not knowing where they're gonna end up or where yeah. they're gonna go or what's gonna happen to them or their children or their families.
0: Yeah, they're just kind of you know stuck in that limbo state.
1: They're, yeah, it's a limbo. They're stuck in that space and like time is meaningless there because they don't know what's going to happen so i don't know how they spend their days like i lived through that for like two years in iraq like less than two years and there some people are still living in that limbo for the like past four years and they're still living that till today yeah i really can't imagine what's going on Mm -hmm. yeah with them like how they coping with that how do you cope with that that
0: i know it's it's damaging and um yeah and actually i um (coughs) i was doing some research about the detention centers and i found that there's about 250 people there who have lived there for more than 700 days and just you know the thought of that uh, being trapped in that in that mindset for so long, it it must deteriorate a person. And
1: you know? you, you hear about unfortunately about the high suicide rates mm-hmm. between them, because like the uncertainty really causes depression and anxiety, and it can lead to like suicidal thoughts. And a lot of them are choosing to you know commit suicide mm-hmm. over the over to live in the uncertainty. So so they desperately need help and they just they just need hope just yeah. something to
0: keep them going
1: keep them going to mm-hmm. hang on they like they have absolutely no hope because there's no hope there. at all
0: yeah it's absolutely it's yeah it's heartbreaking what what people can go through during that time and i feel like we're really lucky we kind of we've kind of never had to really feel that way but um yeah. but yeah and just spending that like every day the same routine you know not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring um, it's yeah, it, it really changes you.
1: It does changes you. It does changes yeah. you a lot.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> when you arrived to Australia, what was your first impression of the country?
1: You know, I felt like I used to watch lots, lots of like Hollywood movies and American movies when I was a kid. So yeah, that's why I learned my language from, like the English from. Uh, I, I I was I was trying to compare it, you know, because that. That was the only resource I had to mm. compare it to the information I had from the movies and stuff. And to be honest, I was not I was not that surprised because I, I already know how the community works here because of the movies. Like the d- d- people say, like movies are not a good resource representation, and yeah. representation. But if you just tone down the image of the movies, it's it, it, it is a good representation yeah. of of the society. Like I was not surprised by anything here to be honest Mm. I was not like shocked because I already know like how things go even though like the movies I watch are mostly American Mm. but Australia is very westernized country and very Americanized Mm. so it was not that different just the accent was just a bit hard to Mm. learn like to learn Mm. but then you get used to it and you understand it very well and
0: yeah and as you said before you had that skill of like adapting (coughs) to quick changes and did that come in handy when you moved to It Australia? did come in
1: handy, yeah. So, like, the, like for my parents, it was not... It was difficult. It was difficult. Yeah, It's still difficult to this day to adapt mm-hmm. to the changes and, like, the laws and, the, like, the communities here and how people interact. Mm-hmm. But for me, I would, like, I was able to, you know, adapt to it very quickly because mm-hmm. of the skill I had gained from the war. Mm-hmm. I was able to understand and know how things go here very quick yeah. and adapt to it and, ha- and like how things go around here. It was a good skill.
0: Last time we spoke to you, you were completing your certificate in photography and now you finished it. So congratulations. Mm-hmm, thank you. Thank you uh, so what does the future hold for you now?
1: It's still uncertain, yeah. but but you have a st- starting base. You have a starting mm-hmm. base now. Like I know I'm gonna work in photography. I st- I still don't know like what like the genre I'm gonna work in. But I know like for 100% fact that not 100%, you know, I'm pretty sure that I'm gonna continue working in photography. And seeing what the future holds for me, I'm very for that yeah. I have hope in the future now, you have hope now. yeah I, like I'm excited to see what's coming I did not feel this way when I was in Iraq or in, in Syria I was not excited for the future I just wanted the safe days to keep on rolling like mm-hmm. the, like especially if we had a safe day I just wanted that day to go on the loop you know just go on the loop because the future was scary there.
0: and what inspired you to, to take on photography
1: I wanted to tell stories because I was influenced by movies and yeah i was influenced by movies more than books because i watched more movies i tried to tell stories by writing but i was not able to express myself or the stories very well through writing so i turned into something visual i thought like, photography was easier for me to express myself more efficiently and well because I had lots of memories from films. Like, I know lots of films, and I know I know how to work with visuals more than writing. I appreciate writing, and I still love to, you know, just write some notes or scribble, scribbles, you know. But it, it's not as effective telling the stories as photography and videos as well. Yeah, I got into videos lately, and I'm, I'm thinking about expanding that as well. So like having photography and filmmaking, and see what I can come up with, what I can create, and what stories I can tell.
0: Yeah, I think uh, well, me and Maya both agree that media and photography mm-hmm. is uh, it just puts the audience in a different experience and does, yeah. tells the story like no other no other platform can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, if there's any advice you could give to refugees or migrants who may have just arrived to Australia recently or are struggling to kind of find their identity in this, in this place in this new country, um, what advice would you give for them?
1: Mm, that's a very hard question.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so. yeah I didn't I did, like follow a certain rule or advice for me to like, adapt to the society or everything here. But be more understanding that this is a different country. This is not Syria. And things are not the same here. Mm. They are different. And you should accept that difference. Because like being different is good. Mm. Don't lose your own identity. Mm. And yeah. try to keep that through like family and events and stuff. But don't reject the identity of other people here as well. And accept that more. It's very hard to balance that. Oh, very but hard, yeah. But it's the only way to be
0: to fully integrate in here. Integrate, yeah, yeah.
1: and not lose your own identity. Exactly, yeah. like yeah. to integrate does not mean to lose your identity as a Syrian or as whatever your nationality is. But is to accept the other and be adaptive and flexible with their like their identity as well. Mm. To accept it as it is mm-hmm. and not try to to change their or, or change, change their identity because it does not fit with yours cuz mm. difference is good
0: yeah thank you so much for sharing that I actually got asked about my own identity and if I have like a conflict between my identity and that question really got me thinking Um, I did an interview earlier with a student from Monash who's studying journalism Mm -hmm. and um, she asked me what do you identify as like are you Syrian Australian are you just Syrian are you just Australian and I was like this really got me thinking because when I came here I struggled to adapt and assimilate Mm -hmm. Um, but (coughs) with time and you know with effort you start to realise who you are what you are identity is and you try to assimilate into your surroundings and learn other people's identities but that doesn't necessarily mean that you lose yours mm-hmm. you know? yeah
1: does not mean you lose yours you can yeah. keep your own identity no matter how long you've lived in this country exactly. no matter how young you came here mm-hmm. like even if you came here when you were like 10 years old or 9 years old you still have your identity because of your family mm-hmm. and you are still like Syrian-Australian because your family still have that sense of community and the beliefs and values values we have different from like the other communities here. Mm. Like, uh, And there is no Australian community to be honest. There is lots of communities here. Like Australia is a mix actually. It's a mix mix of people and it's very, I love the difference. I love it. I I love the difference because this means no one is like the same. No one is the same, and no one is like other ones. We all are different, in our own ways, in our own culture and community. Mm-hmm. Even though we are from the same like country, but we are different as well, like from each other, mm-hmm. because like we live through d- different lives, mm-hmm. different experiences, different mm-hmm. families mm-hmm. as well. Like I- each family have different beliefs as well. Like there is a Syrian community, but each family in that have their own different values and different beliefs and stuff. There is no. I I like the difference. I like yeah. the difference. It, the accepting the difference does not keep us in bubbles. Like being in, in in a bubble is not I don't wanna say it's not good, but it's
0: you'll learn a lot more You'll you learn go more
1: out. and you'll understand life more when you get out of your bubble mm-hmm. and see what others have in their bubble. And see just have a look inside. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. You <laughs> will learn a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: All right, I think, think that's about it. So thank you so much, Mark, for joining us again. Um, we were really honoured to hear your story and um, hear your advice and what you had to say because we think it's really important.
1: Thank you, guys thanks appreciate
0: that thanks mark And we wish you all the best for the future and um you know your photography as well we'll make sure we link um all your photography accounts on our facebook page okay. because you really yeah. you really have an eye for photography yeah, and you do. um <laughs> yeah every time I scroll through like instagram you always come up and I'm like oh, oh my god who shot that and I'm like oh my god it's mark <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> um really yeah it's it's very good so just keep go- keep on going with that
1: thank you guys